It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Beyond good, beyond evil, beyond your wildest imagination. Let's hit it. Are you ready for some football? No. What's Monday night? Monday night football has been over for the last 14 minutes or so. Okay. Hello? (laughs) (laughs) Thank God I'm not the only one that gets screwed up on intros. (laughs) Let me just just say this really quick. It's commercials occasionally interrupted by a football game. (laughs) Oh, so the Super Bowl. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Hello and welcome again to Animation Aficionados crossing over with Tooncast Beyond. We are continuing our look through the DC animated original movies. I am your host, Ben, joined by my co-host, TV's Mr. Neil. I'm smarter than the average. <laughs> oh, and we have with us the host of Tooncast Beyond, TFG1 Mike. Hello. And tonight we are talking about Batman Year One. Uh, Batman Year One, of course, is based off of the uh, groundbreaking uh, uh, graphic novel Batman Year One of the same name, published uh, by DC Comics, written by Frank Miller. This was the reboot after Crisis of the Infinite Earths for Batman. Uh, This was 
after Frank Miller finished his run on Daredevil at Marvel, and I remember lots of uh, people in the comics industry were making jokes. Oh my goodness, Batman! You know they're going to all ninja up Batman, and they were making jokes about that being a bad thing, even though, as we know, that's not exactly a bad thing. Um, <laughs> one thing I have to say about this adaptation is it's almost too faithful of an adaptation of year one. It's, it's to the point where I'm watching it. I know exactly. Yeah. I know exactly what's going to happen because I read the graphic novel and if there's no deviation, there's nothing special about it. It's, it's a perfect adaptation. And I think that's almost the weakness of it because, because I remember Batman Begins, which took elements of year one, but totally made its own thing out of it. Which which is what the genius is of an adaptation is you you know, you do your own thing. This is totally, you know, exactly word for word year one, and I think that really doesn't endear it to me, honestly. Uh Neil, your thoughts. Um, it was a little slow for me. Uh not having read the comics, uh that didn't really bother me. But, uh, you know, this is only an hour long, and just like last week's movie, I was kind of looking at the looking at the clock, and it felt a lot longer than it than it really was. But it wasn't it wasn't bad. It was really slick and clean. It kind of has an anime style, but like I see in other shows, it's kind of that anime style. The way anime is not supposed to look, because I, I like I like classic anime where you have the girls with the big poofy green hair. And, Stuff like and, that. and expressive faces and Dirt, part of the thing is, and part of the thing with this for me is the art style is too clean it's there was a rawness in the original graphic novel the art is was so extremely raw and the rawness itself had this sort of emotion the heavy ink lines the heavy uh the heavy colors the heavy blacks it it, it sort of dripped to this noir feel that that really helped Year one because year one was a was a du- was a story of duality between you know, Batman and Bruce Wayne, uh, Bruce Wayne and Jim Gordon, and and both of their struggle to do right by themselves and do right by the city, and you know it's a classic noir story where you have two very opposite point of views but they both intertwine and there's there similarities that weave in and out as they meet and then go off into their own tangents and meet again. That's that's classic noir and it worked great in the graphic novel but i think in the actual uh, in the actual animated format it really didn't do it for me and like i said i think part of the reason with that is just the art style is so clean so incredibly clean that it loses all that raw roughness that made me love the the artwork in the comic yeah um for me this movie should be called Commissioner Gordon Exiled the Gotham. This is pretty much a full-on... I mean, I know they're both narrating the story, and they're, it, it's both of their point of views between Batman and Gordon, but to me this is more of a Gordon story and more of corruption in Gotham story than it is ever a Batman story whatsoever. I'm going to read one production note here. The film's producer, Bruce Tim said that the original story arc is already cinematic, so the adaptation of film was straightforward. Brian Cranston originally turned down the role as James Gordon because he was unfamiliar with both animation and classic comics. Cranston said of this, I wasn't aware of this level of storytelling and animation. I confess that freely. 
Um, I think Cranston did an amazing job as Gordon. He's no, um, oh God, was it Gary Oldman? Yeah, yeah. He's no, he's no Gary Oldman from the Nolan films, but for what this is, and I, and I, I'm a person who has never read the original. For me, Batman Year One, for me, that story is Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, that's just the way I see it. Um, this film, I liked it. I, I thought I was, I thought I was, because it said it was anime style. I thought they were going to go back to the, one of the styles in Gotham Knight. Thank God they didn't. Um, but it just, I've watched the movie twice and I didn't even watch it before we started the record tonight. I, I was going to, but it was so fresh in my mind. I originally watched it when I first bought it, uh, through iTunes. Uh, I watched it for enjoyment then, and I liked it. I thought it was great. I liked all the different, you know, stories within the movie as far as the corruption in the police, as far as Batman trying to find his identity and all this and all that, or as far as Bruce trying to find his identity and all this and all that. Um, I watched it a second time about two and a half, three weeks ago before I wrote a little mini review on it. Um, I like it. It's okay, but... Under the Red Hood is, at this point, Under the Red Hood is my favorite singular Batman movie in the DC Universe movies at this point. And I think that's exactly right, because Under the Red Hood is exactly how they should do these things, where they take they took a, they take, they take a vague concept and they work from there. And as as Bruce Tam said, they, they did a faithful adaptation, but I think that's what killed it for me. It's too faithful. It's way yeah. too faithful. And it's down to where I know exactly how each shot will go because I've seen it before. It doesn't surprise me. And, and the art style is too clean. It doesn't wow me. It doesn't draw me in like that raw roughness that that comic had. And and one of the things, they did actually add a little bit in here. The, the, the fight between Selena, the uh, African-American prostitute, and uh, Bruce Wayne in the comic was one panel long where Batman pretty much blocks a kick, says she knows karate, but only karate, and then lays her out with a punch. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's what I remember. The, uh, this, this really didn't wow me. It, uh, this really didn't keep my interest in, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Frank Miller's early work. Like I said, I loved his Daredevil Born Again run. I loved uh, the Year One comic. It's right. but this this is too faithful. It is way too faithful. It doesn't add anything new to the to the DNA. It's a clone. It's a clone. As every as everyone knows, each time you clone, you lose something. And in some cases, you have parts in the movie that that. Uh... What am I thinking? Uh, parts of the comic that don't really work well as a movie because uh, it, uh, like like the female character, the the one blonde cop that comes in, she comes in the middle of the movie and then she's gone before the end. Doesn't really have much of a character arc. Yeah, ever. Detective uh, Sarah Essen. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, her whole story arc is basically she's she's the temptation to to, to James Gordon and. She leaves, and the temptation's gone. And it's something that's a lot more subtle in the comic, but the thing is, as the story went on, 
in the first couple of pages when they first showed uh, Barbara Gordon, uh, you know, J- Jim Gordon's wife, not the redhead, uh, when they first showed her, she was very she she was very beautiful even though she was pregnant. But as the comic went on, the the artist drew her more and more plain looking because it was sort of trying to offset the idea that James Gordon sees Barbara and he sees what he's always been with. And he sees Essen, and Essen's just drop dead, sexy, gorgeous. Yeah. And that's that. That's something that was in the comic, but because the art style is so clean and and they're so always exactly on model, that's lost. Yeah, for me in this movie specifically, and more so, the Dark Knight as well. Um, I. I grew up watching reruns of the Adam West Batman. I grew up on BTAS. I grew up on all that DCAU stuff. Uh, I grew up even on the the uh, Adam West, uh, Casey Kasem, Adventures of Batman and Robin cartoons. Barbara Gordon has always been James Gordon's daughter. It always puts me off at this point now when they're calling his wife Barbara. I know in the comics that's that's her name and that's fine and all well and good. But you have this 20, 30 year history of animation where Barbara has always been his daughter in animation. And Are you giving the 87 Turtles argument where I, what I'm familiar with is right? Is that is that the argument you're giving right now, Mike? No, I it just no, what I'm saying is having Barbara as his wife, it puts me off because that is not what I mean, I guess I am, but at the same time I I, I don't take points away from the movie for it. It's just something that kind of throws me off at first because of what I'm used to. Um so obviously as... you are saying exactly that, and I think that's very unfair because you limit yourself to new interpretations or even old interpretations you not, you don't know of. It's but on and... the other side, you know, you also have to think about that the the animation uh, market is larger than the comic market, so that's, that's absolutely gonna, that might true. actually throw a lot of people off. That's absolutely true, and I think that's part of the entire overall detriment of your one is, like I said, it's too faithful an adaptation. What are your thoughts, Neil, on some of the stuff in your one? Um, well, the one scene that I really did like is when uh, James Gordon and his wife, Barbara, go to visit uh, Bruce Wayne. And he's he's pretending to be drunk, and he's got a prostitute there. And he does the Sharon Stone basic in- instinct leg cross. Yeah. <laughs> and the wife sees it. <laughs> Uh, yeah. that, that was great. That was pretty much the best portrayal in animation for the play, like playing up the Playboy angle of Bruce Wayne that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Um, you don't normally see the Playboy side of Bruce in animation. I mean, every now and then it came out in BTAS and in Justice League, but it was way more subtle. And this was pretty much balls to the wall. Well, As, balls to something. Uh. <laughs> as far as the voice cast, I'm going to save one person for the very end. But we have Brian Cranston as Gordon. You got Eliza Dushku as Catwoman slash Selena Kyle, which I absolutely love Eliza doing the voice. But I think she was way underutilized in this movie. And sadly, the iTunes movie, the iTunes download did not come with the Catwoman shorts, so I have yet to see that. So that oh, I, uh, 
Neil send him Neil send him the link. But uh, but you know, licensing ruined one of the best jokes in this cartoon. <laughs> what? When the when the Selena Kyle first time as Catwoman decides to rob Commissioner Loeb. The the joke is in the comics, Commissioner Loeb has an extensive collection of Disney memorabilia. Oh god. Uh. <laughs> Um, and, other... and like I said, that that joke is ruined because of licensing. They couldn't have they couldn't have a Catwoman rip off the head of a of a Mickey doll and throw it at the TV. Yeah, like in the comics. But like I other... said, that's that's that ruined the best joke in the comic licensing. Yeah. Other mainstays that people will know: uh, Katie Sackoff as Sarah Essen, uh, Jeff Bennett as Alfred Pennyworth, which. Uh, he was barely in it, honestly. He was, but uh, I think he only said one sentence. Yeah, probably. Um, I'm not Andrea Romano as the obstetrician, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, Stephen Root was Brendan. Um, James Patrick Stewart was one of the henchmen. Uh, okay, now well, let me get to the one that I left out here. I wish they would have gotten Bruce Greenwood to do this movie. It would have made Batman a hell of a lot more interesting. It would have made me think of it more as a Batman story. However, they decided to cast Ryan fucking Atwood. Ben McKenzie. Now, I, Ben McKenzie, I loved him in the OC. I love him on Southland on TNT. I'm sorry, his voice does not lend to either a good Bruce or a good Batman. The only, as Neil said before, the scene that he liked, the only time I really liked Ben's voice as Bruce was during that that Playboy scene. But his narration was so dull, it almost put me to sleep. Oh, it's, uh... <laughs> I forgot about that. That's, uh... Yeah, it just, overall... You know, it's sad because the the Ben McKenzie portrayal is so underwhelming. It, it you know Brian Cranston's Gordon pretty much carried this film, and oh yeah, and it, overall that that you know you do you do too faithful in adaptation. Number one, number two, you uh, number two you don't cast it correctly. I'm sorry, this movie isn't cast correctly, and I just think that this is. This is not that good a movie, and I actually feel bad that I own it. And the only reason I don't sell it is one thing. Uh, Neil is really happy because this movie comes with a built-in palate cleanser. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Catwoman short. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not as... I don't think I'm as thrilled with the Catwoman short as you are, but there is the one part in it where... Uh, <laughs> God, what, 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 did the, what did they throw down on the floor in the, uh, in the stripper scene? Diamonds. Yeah, and she does the splits, and I swear to God, I thought she was going to pick it up with her snooch. <laughs> That's nothing compared to Catwoman's dance. <sighs> now that was a dance. Yeah, I just... Yeah, the I'm very disappointed in the iTunes features. Um, I'm very disappointed iTunes... in iTunes overall. So. Oh, let's not even go there. Um, but anyway, 
so as far as what it's made, it's very abysmal. I mean, the movie came out what uh, October eighteenth, so it's been out two months. It's only made one million eight hundred thirty thousand dollars. It sold one hundred twenty-one thousand two hundred eighty-two units. I, I think that's. I think it doesn't deserve much more than that. It's. I'm sorry to say it. I'm actually, like I said, I'm sad that I own it. I mean, I agree with you. It, you know, it's an overall decent movie if you're just looking at it that way and you're not analyzing it. But if you're someone like you, Ben, who's coming from the comics, and yes, a straightforward adaptation really it, it makes it too clean, as you said, and it, you know. There really isn't that much here for, I mean, as I said before, for me, I would watch Mask of the Phantasm over this any day because that is a better Batman Year One story for me. Well, exactly, and, and that's the thing. Batman Year One has infected the the DNA of what Batman is, but you should never just distill just Year One and present it again because... You know, Batman Begins used a lot of DNA from Year One. Uh, yeah. Mask of the Phantasm used some Year One DNA, a little bit of Year Two as well. <laughs> His whole Phantasm story is based off of the Reaper story, but uh, that's a story yeah. for another time. Yes. Um, in total, to this point, all uh, tw- uh, 13 of these movies have made $75,345,722. And they've sold 4,869,337 units. Uh, For 14 movies in nearly almost five years, I would say that's good numbers. I still can't believe that Doomsday still has the highest as far as the the money goes. Um, So... For me, as I said, I did buy this in iTunes simply because when you when you rent stuff in iTunes versus buying, you only get the movie. You have to actually buy stuff in iTunes to get the special features, and I thought the Catwoman short was going to be on the iTunes purchase. It wasn't, so I kind of wasted $15.89, but I was still open-minded to the movie because I had never read the comic, and I was like, okay, well, we'll see how this goes. And it was, yeah. Um, I'd probably, if it was on Netflix, I'd probably give it a three, but I'm probably really going to give it a two at this point. It's just, I don't know. What about you, Neil? I'll give it a two as well. It's eh, with another asterisk because, you know, it might be worth it for you to rent it if you really want to, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. I would give this a two as well. I, I bought it, and I don't think it's worth a buy. I think if someone can show it to you for free, it's worth seeing it. If you're not familiar with the comic, this is pretty much a faithful adaptation. So you get to see what the whole of the hubbub about year one is. But I think you're really missing out because you're not, it doesn't have any of the rawness in that in that art. It doesn't have any of that rawness. So, but it has the exact same story. So, yeah, a, a two. Yeah. All right, so we are going to take a break here on TuneCast, and we're going to go to some ads, and we'll come back to close the show after that. TuneCast will be back after these messages. 
The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007, starting with the Webcomic Beacon, a topical webcomics podcast with a jovial bunch of misfits like your local morning radio show. Also, the Webcomic Beacon Newscast recaps, reviews, and discussions of community and industry news relative to comic creators, especially of digital distribution. Also, the Tropecast, the ever-tangential discussion of literary and visual memes. And finally, Web Fiction World. Before webcomics, there was independent and self-published web-release written fiction and literature. Find this all at webcastbeacon.com. Be sure to grab a master RSS feed or master iTunes feed and not miss a thing. Like animation? Come listen to Animation Aficionados. And if you disagree with us, you could be a guest on a future show. Available on iTunes, the Zoom Market, and AnimationAficionados.com. Movie Week in Review is the GeekCast Radio Network's weekly movie podcast. Steve and Mike take a look back on their favorite films and give you their thoughts. They also bring in co-hosts at times. If you are a movie buff, listen to MWire only on GeekCastRadio.com. Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Greg. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the Internet's number one G.I. Joe podcast, What's On Joe Mind. That's right. It's Joe News, reviews, and special guests like you've never heard them before delivered right to your MP3 player. Think of it as Joe Talk meets Sports Talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right. Hey. We're just kidding, Chuck. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Chuck makes fun of himself. Right. Hey. It's What's On Joe Mind. Every week on the GeekCast Radio Network, InsidePulse.com, Stitcher Smart Radio, and iTunes. Download and listen today. Can I say something about Transformers? No. 2012 marks the 30th anniversary for Masters of the Universe. We here at the GCRN are celebrating with a brand new series of podcasts. The Powers of Grayskull series will cover every episode of every MOTU cartoon. Yes, even that crappy new adventure stuff. Join Optimus Solo and TF2 and Mike as they tell tales of Eternia, discover the myths of Etheria, become masters in space, and finally masters of Grayskull. You can find the Pogs podcasts in iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Good journey! You can now hear the GeekCast Radio Network while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is a free news and talk mobile app available for your smartphone. And when you download Stitcher to hear GeekCast Radio, you'll have a chance to win money. Downloading is quick and easy. Just find Stitcher in the App Store. During registration, hit the promo code box and enter GeekCast Radio, all one word, to get automatically entered to win $100. The latest episodes of the shows will be waiting for you and your favorites. You'll get access to lots of other amazing shows, too. Always available to you on demand. No syncing. It's Stitcher Smart Radio. Don't forget to enter promo code GeekCast Radio when you register. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. I see a new episode of Tooncast coming this week. Now back to Tooncast.
Rough cuts back. What'd he give you? He must be smuggling diamonds again. That thug would smuggle his own mama. You know, Maggie got one of those last week. You heard from her? <gasps> you ladies look like you could use a break. Looking for the owner of this. Never seen it before. Take a closer look. Wow, they should have made a movie out of Catwoman instead of Batman Year One. Yes, uh, during the break, Mike was able to take a peek at the Catwoman showcase short and. Like I said, Batman Year One came with the automatic palate cleanser. Yes. <laughs> well, aside from that, uh, she didn't really have like a a real a real conclusion in the actual movie. She's doesn't really have much to do with the plot at all. She's just kind of uh, there. Yeah, she's just kind of there, and this kind of adds an an extra layer to that. You know, it kind of gives her a more satisfying conclusion. Honestly, I say this isn't the same Catwoman because in the uh, because in the actual uh, because at this because when looking at it, the the costume know, is different. The co- not only the costume is different. This is the modern Catwoman costume, but also the Catwoman in Year One is African American. This Catwoman obviously is not. I mean, it's, you know, the the skin tone's starting to get really light anyways, but no, this one's definitely Caucasian. Yeah. Um, Not to mention the actual, the actual art style is a lot more interesting in this one. It still has that blank, blank stare thing that Neil doesn't like. Yeah. But the bodies make up for it. (laughs) Oh, yes, they do. I'm actually surprised there wasn't... I'm surprised that they were able to even put this on a PG-13 rated movie because at first I thought that 
uh, red bikini stripper was actually. I thought we were going to actually see full frontal. <laughs> what do you think this is, Stripperella? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. No, this is way too well animated for Stripperella. Oh. <laughs> but uh, one thing we have to mention is just Catwoman strip dance. Wow. That. That was more of like gymnastics stripping than anything else. That was just awesome. What about what about that zip all the way oh, down? Oh yeah. <laughs> that went down quite a bit. Yep. And where'd she hide that whip? Yeah, I know. You know, it, and it doesn't hurt that well, it, it actually helps it, but it doesn't hurt that uh, Eliza Dushku provided the voice for it. That was Were you just... picturing Eliza Dusku doing the dance? Oh hell yeah! Who wasn't? <laughs> don't don't tempt me. We might have to take another break. <laughs> Ew! But this this really, you, you know, I, I could sing the praises of. Uh, I could sing the praises for this all all day long because I think the cat because everything year one did wrong, Catwoman did right in like telling an original story based off of a piece of DNA versus. Yeah. versus something else. And I know this movie can cause a lot of people to lose pieces of their DNA, but... <laughs> <laughs> but really, this is actually a great... You know, like I said, the only thing that keeps me from selling here one is the Catwoman short. Yeah. Um, now... But Mike's just stuck with it because he has iTunes. <laughs> Whatever. Um, now kind of moving off of kind of just to close the show here, I did want to bring up the fact that this, this past week, well, by the time this airs, um, as of this recording, when we're recording this, uh, we have just gotten the Justice League Doom press release and I can't wait till February 28th. The grand reunion of actors who provided the voices of Justice League for the cartoon of the same name and its follow-up, Justice League Unlimited, includes Kevin Conroy, Michael Rosenbaum, Susan Eisenberg, uh, let's see, Carl Lumley, and, of course, they have to bring in Bumper Robinson and uh, and a few other people. But, yeah, um, we are getting all the Justice League voice actors... Uh, the Blu-ray special edition features for Doom will have a tribute to Dwayne McDuffie on it because Doom was, while well, well, Ass, All-Star Superman, was the last thing he was able to see before, you know, see and promote before he passed away, Doom was the actual last thing he worked on and that he wrote for. Um, one, one minor I, thing, though. One minor thing. There is no George Newbern. Yeah... You know what? I know people dump on George for that season one of Justice League, but it's really not fair because he he hit it out of the park after that. Really, it's not his fault. It's it's Bruce Tim and the writers' fault. Bruce Tim admitted it. Well, no, no, no. I I, I understand that. Who is playing? Is Superman is in this though, right? Who Tim is Daly. Playing? Oh, okay. Well, that's fine. But but you, you know. say but I think it's just a, such a shame that every time they do a movie, it's like Tim Daly. Tim Daly, Tim Daly, and they're never calling George back, and George does a pretty damn good Superman. He does, you know. I mean, George Newbern is just in there. Come on, guys. George Newbern. I'm going to keep going until you're just a greasy smear on my fist. Let's go. (laughs) 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was such an underrated performance, Ben. Come on. You could have put more into that. Um, <laughs> no, but I am so looking forward to that. Uh, here on Tooncast Beyond, we will actually, because by the time this episode airs, this episode airs February 1st, 2012. There will not be a Tooncast Beyond episode until March 7th. So we're taking a month off in February because Doom doesn't release until February 28th, as I said. Uh, but I just absolutely can't wait to see it. I, I actually just added uh, the the trade paperback for the JLA issue on, on my Amazon wish list. And I want to read that. I, hopefully someone will get that for me for Christmas. And I want to read that before I actually see the... Uh, the movie uh, I've heard really good things of from Tower of Babel and this is probably the only book at this point that I'm really excited to read before seeing the adaptation for it because um, I loved all of the adaptations like New Frontier and all that I love those movies individually for what they are without having to read the source material so I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you for joining us here on the Tooncast Beyond Animation Aficionados crossover. There are several ways to get in contact with us to leave feedback for the shows. Visit the websites geekcastradio.com and animationaficionados.com. Leave the show's feedback in iTunes. Please do this. Follow us on Twitter. The show name there is Tooncast Beyond. Mine is TFG on Mike. Neil, what is your Twitter? Neil Saba. Ben, what's the A Twitter? A Aficionados. Become a fan on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash geekcast radio network and facebook.com slash animation aficionados. Call our voicemail line. Tell us the show you're leaving the message for and your name. 502-526-5821. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tooncast Beyond and Animation Aficionados and wish you'll join us next time where we will be continuing the DC Universe animated movie spotlight with Justice League Doom. For now, I am TFG and Mike with... TV's Mr. Neo. And Ben. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Good night. <laughs> you guys always fuck it up. <laughs> you each have a personal vendetta against the Justice League. Their deaths would serve my goals. You've all tried and failed to kill members of the League on multiple occasions. Everybody take what you can and get out. It's the Justice League. Say goodnight, Ace. Savage has foolproof plans for how we can destroy them. Kryptonite bullet. I will pay you $100 million after you destroy the Justice League. Take them down. Pick a car. Any car. Before, I broke the bat. Today, I break the man. Welcome to the Legion of Doom. (laughs) Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection. The lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. 
That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.